This week, this week has been surreal for me. I keep having these moments, even in these last seven days, where my mind and my heart cannot make sense of where I actually find myself. It's like they cannot quite comprehend that I've actually announced what I have announced, that I'm stepping down as your pastor. Maybe it's because it's one of the only times in my life where I've chosen to take a step into a very unknown future. I think Jessie really explained it well to our kids the other night when she said it's kind of like you're hiking on a new path and you don't actually know what's around the corner from you, but you know you need to keep walking. I sort of have started to think it's like you're hiking down this trail that you've chosen to go see because you want to go see this waterfall, but you notice that there is a little side trail that breaks off along the way. It's not the path that you have set out to walk, but something in you suddenly says, this is the way. Walk in it. And so you decide to take that first step, but you have actually all kinds of questions about where you're going. My mind and my heart are still trying to make sense of why I have stepped off the path that I had been walking. It's not what was planned. And so there are these moments when both of them come together and look around and say, wait, how did we get here? (laughs) Probably the only other time in my life where I had a similar kind of feeling was that week when I found out that there, no, was not one baby growing in my wife's body. There were two babies growing in her body. And I remember thinking, wait, what? How did that happen? (laughs) And even more importantly, what just happened to this life I've been living? (laughs) Of course, you all have heard that story because you were a part of that story. I walked around in a kind of daze for weeks, really. My mind and my heart could not make sense of where my life was taking us. And over the last month, and especially in the last week, I have felt that way again. Monday morning, I watched as tears filled my children's eyes, as we told them, tears because they have loved being a part of this congregation, and tears because you all have loved them so well. And I heard tears over the phone this week, tears in some of your voices too. And all those tears bring me back to my own tears that I have been shedding over the last six months as I've wrestled with this decision. I told someone recently that I think I have cried more in the last six months than maybe I have in the last six years. I have a close friend who is a pastor We've been close friends since seminary. And he reminded me that, you know, Chris, tears are often the other side of joy. They come because we have known joy and goodness and love. If there were no tears, then that would suggest that something was wrong. So the tears are a gift reminding us of the goodness that God has given to us in these last years. 
Tears just mean you're leaving your church how we all hope to leave our church when the time comes, he said to me. Not with some conflict, not burnt out and broken and bitter, but leaving at the end of a period of good and beautiful ministry where the church is thriving. Tears are something to celebrate, he said to me. And I think he's right. I'm choosing then to cherish the tears that have come and that will keep coming, I'm sure, over the next several months. And at the same time, I am choosing to believe that this unexpected nudge to step off of this path I've been hiking into this uncertain side path is an invitation from God. Of course, that's a really hard thing to know, isn't it? What is and what is not an invitation from God. The truth is, we often never know for sure. If we're honest with ourselves, we cannot know for sure. God is not so easily grasped by us, but it is sure easy for us to get God wrong along the way. So I have to say, I'm often pretty skeptical when people say that God is leading them to do this or God is leading them to do that, especially if it's something that it does not make very much sense to me and maybe even doesn't seem like a very wise, practical choice. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and I tend to get a little uptight about the way that people use God a lot. Or maybe it's just because I've been paying attention along the way, but I'm always so weary of that kind of God talk because it's, it's really just so easy for any of us to wrap our decisions in religious language and then to use God as a way to make us feel better about the decisions we're making. Kind of makes me cringe. I think actually in our time and culture, that's exactly what using God's name in vain as the Ten Commandments talk about actually sounds like. It's that flippant use of God said to me this or God told me to do that. Language that can be so common sometimes it gets used as an excuse. And truth is that might be especially true of people like me whose job it is to use that language. And yet... And yet, we are a people who believe that in some mysterious way, but in a real way, God is active in our lives and in our world. And God does call, or at least God nudges. Or maybe a better word is God invites. Or maybe God draws us towards different things in different seasons of life. God gives us different invitations that come along. So how, how do we know How do I know what is and isn't an invitation from God in my life? That's a really big question. It's one I've been wrestling with a lot over the last six months. And it is part of what brought me back to James. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I actually memorized the entire first chapter of James when I was in high school. I tell you that so that you're impressed by me course then I got to college and I met this girl who said well when I was in high school I measured I memorized the entire book of James kind of put me in my place so I married her (laughs) 
But those first few verses of James, they've been in my mind and heart for a long time now, and it's in times like these that they come back to me. If any of you lacks wisdom, they should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. But, James says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I really hate that part. Because if that's true, I'm kind of like seaweed. I always have doubts about the decisions I make. It drives Jesse crazy whenever we make a decision together of any kind. For her, the decision is done, and it's clear, and it's obvious, and we move on. Not so much with me. I mean, sure, we may have bought all the paint and spent all weekend painting the house, but is that really the color that we want? I mean, maybe we could have gone in a slightly different direction with that. Oh, my goodness, it drives her batty at times. I have probably second or third guessed just about every decision of my entire life. That's just who I am. So when James says that when we ask God for wisdom, we should just believe it and not doubt, I always kind of squirm a little bit. In part, I squirm because, like I said, I think sometimes we jump to conclusions about God a little too quickly. I'm not so sure some people shouldn't be doubting just a little bit more about what God's saying to them. But on the other hand, I squirm because there is a time to trust and to stop doubting and to act. And the truth is, that's the much harder side for me. It's probably why I so deeply value making decisions in community, discerning in community, and not just decisions about the whole community, but even decisions about our individual lives made in community. A lot of you got a glimpse of that about five years ago when I was trying to make the decision about whether or not to go back to school. It was something I had sort of thought about on and off for a long time, but I had a whole lot of questions about it, and so I took this really risky step of asking you, my congregation, to help me discern. I remember talking to the leadership team about it at that time, and we decided to put together what in the Quaker tradition is called a clearness committee. And so there were about five to eight members of our church that we met with, and we met probably together for three or four different times over a whole series of months, and they met just to listen deeply to what was stirring in me. I would share, and they'd ask probing questions. They'd challenge me to go do some different kind of exploring and thinking in between our meetings, and I went off and would explore other things and then come back and process some more, and they would point things out to me that I hadn't thought about before. And over the course of several months of that, what was cloudy and uncertain began to get more and more clear. Now, as Chuck has reminded me several times since then, that's not actually how it's supposed to be done. It's not how pastors typically make that decision. Normally, they make the decision out on their own in private with a few close friends, and then they just announce it to their church out of nowhere. By the way, I'm going to go do this, and will you now bless me in it? That's how it's typically done. And there's actually a whole lot of good reasons for the way that's typically done. For one thing, it's a pretty vulnerable place for a pastor to be. 
And not all pastors have the kind of thoughtful and caring congregation that you all are. Which means that for most pastors, that kind of vulnerability, it's just not safe to do, to be quite honest. It's too risky for them. But I also think there's more to it than that. It's just not done that way because we, as a culture, as a church culture even, are just not accustomed to asking our church community to go deep and help us discern a particular question about our own individual life. Sure, there might be an individual we talk to here and an individual we talk to there, but not a community gathered to help us discern. But you all helped me to see and trust what God was inviting me toward at that time. You helped me to believe and not doubt, as James puts it. Believe and not doubt that it was the right step to take. And looking back, I can see clearly, and I think some of you can tell too, it's made me a much better pastor these last five years than I was the first five years I was here. And what you may not know, but it's pretty clear to me that that experience of learning and reflecting and writing and being mentored also helps me to become a better human being. In chapter 3 of James, James says that you can kind of tell the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom by the fruits that it bears. Who is wise and understanding among you, James asks? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness of born of wisdom. And then later on he writes, Wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. And what I discovered five years ago and have experienced again in these last days is that When James asks, who among you is wise, I want to say, Dayspring is. Dayspring is a wise church. You all showed it to me with your good works and gentleness then. You showed it to me by being full of mercy and good fruits. And your leadership has been showing it to me again in in these days. As I mentioned in my letter that I sent out this week, about six months ago now, I started to feel a real unsettled sense in my soul about the work that I've been doing as a pastor, and it really surprised me. It took me off guard, but I knew it was something that I needed to pay attention to. And so back in April, late in April, I went on this annual retreat that I go on every year with this small group of pastors from my doctoral work. I meet with them monthly online, and once a year, we get together for a retreat in person. And when we're together, we always have the same format. We spend one morning listening to one person deeply explore a question in their life, in their ministry or their personal life, and we ask them questions. We help them to probe, and we help them to see and to listen. Each morning, a different person takes a turn. And again, listening and discerning in community, it, it is this incredibly rich experience because it helps you ask some new questions. It helps you to see grace that you couldn't see on your own. 
It helps you to find your way when the questions of life keep tossing you back and forth like a wave of the sea. We simply are able to hear true wisdom from God more clearly together in community than we're able to hear on our own. I deeply believe that. My friends not only reminded me of that, but also suggested that I bring some of these questions back and begin to prayerfully discern them, quote, with the elders of your church. None of them are Baptists. They don't know that we didn't have elders. So I came back and I told our leadership team, guess what? You've been appointed elders. They also laughed at the time. But they lived into that role so beautifully with me. For the last several months, we've spent a part of every leadership team talking and processing some of the work that I've been doing over the last 10 years. And those conversations, they were confidential, and I trust they'll remain confidential. But in general, what we talked about were the responsibilities that I've had and what I've been carrying and where I place my energy and how I use my different gifts in different ways and And honestly, what was most important to me was not what was said. What was most profound to me was how much I felt seen and heard and cared for as an individual by every single person on our leadership team. They have been incredible. Not many pastors have that experience with their church leadership, but we do here at Dayspring. And I told them early on as we started these conversations, look, these conversations are not about me leaving, and I genuinely didn't think they were. In part, I think I was not actually open to that possibility. But gradually over the last several months, there have been these moments that have felt like a clearing. Moments that felt like something holy. Moments that felt like what James describes as pure and peace-loving, full of mercy and good fruits. Moments, as I started to string them together over these last six months, they began to feel like this invitation to set down the mantle of pastoral leadership in order to prepare for this next season of my life. And it didn't make any sense to me. In many ways, it still does not make sense to me to tell you the truth. But gradually, I've begun to think that this is the first step that I need to take in order to even be open enough to consider other kinds of ministry that God might be inviting me to do. Ministry that I think might shift from leading one congregation to a ministry to the church universal more broadly. And I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like still. I don't know. I imagine it will have some form of teaching and writing and maybe mentoring other pastors, maybe leading retreats for ministry leaders. All that I can really say for sure right now is that I asked for wisdom. I asked for it in prayers and journaling, And then I began to ask for wisdom from God through my spiritual director and through some of my peers and through some of my friends and mentors. And then I began to ask for wisdom through our leadership team and through my family. 
And this is where I think I'm being led. So in weeks like this, when my mind and my heart feel all disoriented, I'm quite tempted, honestly, to doubt all of it. But I am choosing to take the risk to believe and not doubt anymore. I'm trying to believe and not doubt that not only did God begin to call me to be the pastor here of this church 11 years ago, but now God is inviting me into some other kind of work. I'm trying to believe and not doubt that if God is calling me into something unknown, then goodness and mercy and grace will meet me there just like it has here among you all these last 10 years. I'm trying to believe and not doubt that if God's calling me to set down the work of being your pastor, then it is actually for your sake every bit as much as it is for mine. I'm trying to believe and not doubt that God is also preparing new seasons of goodness and mercy and grace for day spring in the coming years. It's hard to make sense of the divine at work in our world and the divine presence at work in our own lives, isn't it? But but this is what James challenges us to do. Just like everything else we've heard from James over the last four weeks, our words, our money, our actions, and yes, listening for wisdom and then acting on it, it is all part of this series that we've called Lived Faith. It's what lived out faith requires of us. So as long as I'm still your pastor, and I still am, I still am for the next few months, then I'm going to keep challenging you to look and listen for the stirrings of God in your life. Pay attention to the stirrings of God at work around you and the stirrings of God at work in you. And if you get a glimpse of something totally unexpected, absolutely be humble enough to discern in community because you know what? You might be wrong. Don't be a lone ranger, but then trust. Trust that no matter which way you go, trust that no matter whether you are right or you are wrong, trust that in every season of your life, divine grace and love will meet you there. Amen.